Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, if you have been at worship here throughout the month of August or uh, caught up uh, with us online, if you were away, you know that uh, we have been working our way through the letter of St. Paul to the church in Ephesus, uh, which, as I have said, was written around the year 60 while Paul was under arrest in the city of Rome, about a thousand miles away to the west. And using two passages uh, from this letter of Paul to the Ephesians, I spent the first two weeks talking about uh, God's instructions through Paul about how we're supposed to get along with each other, how we treat each other, even how we talk to each other in ways that honor God, that uh, show respect uh, for one another, and also provide uh, an attractive and powerful and positive witness to the world around us. And then last week, uh, Pastor Carlson picked up another passage from Ephesians uh, to key in on Paul's instructions for how we use the time that God has given us, and uh, in which I remember Ken's call to focus on the cross and not on the clock. Uh, which I obviously need to get better at in my own life. And uh, now today we come uh, to the end of August, or the last week of August, and also to the end of Ephesians and the very last chapter of this letter in which Paul concludes uh, with a rather vivid piece of imagery that, uh, quite frankly, uh, seems just a little bit out of place in the context of the rest of the letter, uh, but I believe illustrates very powerfully uh, just what's at stake in the decisions that we make about how we live our lives as Christians. And, and that image, uh, as you heard, is that of a uniform of a first century Roman legionnaire or soldier, uh, which is what Paul is referring to and talking about when he says, put on the whole armor of God and then proceeds to name the individual pieces or components of that soldier's uniform and then uses each of them as metaphors for the components of our spiritual life that you and I need in order to stand firm in the face of a spiritual assault or temptation or a loss or a, a storm that makes its way uh, into our lives. And uh, so he gives this uh, set of images as a word of encouragement to us, although I know uh, that there are some Christians, uh, some church people, who really aren't very comfortable with these, you know, military or militaristic uh, images, uh, even if they're biblical ones, uh, because, of course, we have now called to be peacemakers in Jesus, and also because, quite frankly, some of these words have been misused over the course of time to encourage uh, actual soldiers uh, to be great warriors in literal uh, wars, uh, though I will uh, concede to you that there are times when just wars do need to be fought as a consequence of sin, but that's another sermon. Uh, it is, in fact, uh, true, however, that uh, the hymn we sang at the beginning of our service today, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, has actually been deleted uh, from some of the new hymn books of other Christian denominations, even though it is actually based on today's reading from Ephesians chapter 6 and was actually written prior to the Civil War as a call to stand up for Jesus Christ in opposition to slavery in America. 
And uh, so nevertheless, Paul gives us these images because there is such a thing that we refer to in the life of the church as spiritual warfare, which has to do with your heart, your mind, and also with your faith. When Paul says at the beginning of the reading that our struggle is uh, not with uh, the rulers or authorities or powers of this earth. In other words, this is not a literal physical war uh, that he's talking about, but it is with the, the forces of darkness, uh, the spiritual powers of the evil one, so that he ends this whole letter after all this conversation about you know, how we treat each other and how we get along with each other with a warning to get ready for the spiritual battles that will inevitably come into our lives in one way or another because, you know, the devil's motivation is not simply to get you to sin. It is to use your sin to pull you away from God and from his church. And before I get into what all of that really means, uh, let me just say that uh, I understand that the dress code of our uh, modern-day culture has become a lot more relaxed, uh, e even in my own lifetime. But it's still true uh, that what you put on or what you wear may say something about not only what you do, but also about who you are. If, for example, you wear the uniform of an airline pilot uh, or a firefighter or someone in the armed services or a professional football player, or a judge, or a nurse, or a doctor. First uniform I ever put on made me a Cub Scout. And it was a rush, Pack 182. You know, but even if your, your work, or your organization, or your school doesn't require the wearing of a uniform, it is still true that we tend to dress differently often for work than we do for play, uh, for a very special occasion that for a trip to the grocery store. It's also true that you can sometimes tell a person's faith or their religion by the clothing they wear or the jewelry that they uh, put on. In my own profession, I can tell you that it is far easier for me, you know, to walk through uh, a recovery room or a, an emergency room or an intensive care unit without any questions asked when I am in uniform. In fact, most of the time they just avoid me. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we also know all the characters out there who are transformed when they put on a new set of clothing like the bride in the wedding dress, like Clark Kent becoming Superman, like the whole family who goes to Edna Mode and they get their super suits and they become who? The Incredibles. It happens. And so, you know, Paul knows what he's talking about here when he used a soldier's uniform to say to followers of Jesus Christ, put on the whole armor of God, beginning with what he refers to as a belt of truth around your waist. Now, first century Roman legionnaire uh, would begin by wearing a, a simple, a loose-fitting tunic, uh, over which then he would fasten a belt around his waist to hold the tunic in place uh, to secure his vest 
uh, there would be a scabbard for his sword or his dagger, and uh, it would also uh, hold up uh, from which would hang an apron made of thick lever, leather, sometimes with a, a metal overlay in order to protect him. And so the soldier's belt was the part of the uniform that kind of held all the other parts of the uniform uh, together, if you will. Paul says, put the belt of truth around your waist. In other words, surround your life with God's truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because if you aren't surrounding your life with the promises of God, that's when everything else begins to fall apart and you become vulnerable to the one Jesus refers to in John chapter 8 as the father of lies. And then comes uh, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was, uh, was that soldier's body armor. It was, his, it was his Kevlar vest, if you will. It, it protected his heart and the other vital organs of his upper body from uh, the uh, impact of an arrow or the strike of a sword. That breastplate represents your righteousness, your right relationship in Christ who protects your heart and your soul for God for all eternity. As for the shoes, he says, put on the gospel of peace. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, what they would do is uh, drive nails or spikes down through the soles of a, of a soldier's sandals so that he could walk and use those spikes kind of like uh, cleats to get traction so that the, in the heat of the battle, he would stay steady. He would stand firm. You couldn't easily knock him down, which is to say then when you have the peace that passes all human understanding, then you and I are steady and firm, even when the battle starts, even when the spiritual storm comes rolling in to our lives. And then, you know, with all of this, he says, take up the shield of faith. Now, uh, the Greek word for shield here is actually the same as the word for door. Uh, because even though you see these little round shields that the soldiers uh, would sometimes use, and they, and they did use, this kind of a shield was really literally the size or almost the size of a door. And a soldier would hold it up and he could shield him, his, his, almost his entire body from uh, an onslaught or an assault or an attack. As a matter of fact, what would happen is that if the opposing army uh, shot their arrows uh, into the enemy territory, what they would do is those soldiers would line up together with their shields, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and they would form a wall of protection that would repel the attack and would enable them to keep advancing, actually, against their enemy. In verse 16 of this passage here, Paul says that with the shield of faith, you will, in his words, quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the Ephesians knew exactly what that meant. Because what the archers would do would be to dip their arrowheads in pitch and ignite them and send an avalanche of fire down into the enemy, not only to wound them, but to set them on fire. Have you ever seen the movie Braveheart? One of the best movies ever. Uh, there's a scene that depicts this, you know, beautifully, although it is gruesome. I guarantee you that. But, but what, the, what the opposing army would do anticipating this is that they would take those shields 
which were made of thick leather, and they would soak them in water and make them wet in order to, quote, quench the flaming arrows of the enemy. If that is a baptismal image, to remind me that my life is in Christ, when my spiritual hardships, assaults, threats come my way, well, I don't know what is. Two other items he talks about, one is the helmet of salvation. We all know how important a helmet is to a soldier, to a football player, to a kid on a bicycle. Your whole rest of your body can be uninjured, but if you have a head injury, it affects everything about you. Put on your helmet of salvation. If you've got salvation, then you got life here in time and for all eternity. And then finally, there's the sword of the Spirit, which is interesting because that's the only offensive weapon, you know, the soldier really has. And it's his way of saying that we don't just play defense as Christians. We can also go forward in the power of God against the spiritual war that rages within us, whether that is a temptation to live a life apart from God in some way, or it's a loss or a tragedy in your life, or something or someone is actually challenging your faith and challenging the way that you live that faith. He's saying, you got the power of Jesus in your life, in your hand. And so every one of these components of this uh, uniform has a very specific purpose for that Roman soldier, but it also has a very specific parallel for the Christians in the city of Ephesus, and now I hope you and me too. And to that, I would just highlight, uh, you know, a few things as you think about this passage and what it really means for your life today. And one is, as you noticed, that Paul tells the Ephesians and God says to us, put on the whole armor, not just one piece of it. Not just one part of it, but all of it. Why? Because the one part that you don't put on, the one part that you're going to leave behind, that's the place where your spiritual life will become the most vulnerable. And so, you know, you think of your relationship with God, and you might say, well, you know, I pray, but I don't read the Bible very much. Or, yeah, I like to read the Bible, but, I, you know, I don't go to church. You know, wherever it's missing that's where you're going to be the most vulnerable. Two, notice and remember that the uniform of a first century Roman soldier was designed to protect him primarily from the front. Meaning that if you turn your back on a temptation, on a spiritual threat, on an inclination to doubt God in the midst of a storm in your life. If you ignore it, if you try to walk away from it, or you pretend that it's not there, you know, all those gifts that God has given us aren't going to work to their full effect, not because they're not sufficient, but rather because we're not using them the way that God intended for us to use them by facing those things directly in Jesus' name. And the third thing I would want you to notice is that what every soldier knew, what every soldier today still knows, 
is that if there's a spiritual battle that's coming your way, you got to suit up before it ever begins. I have known people, you know, who went running, scrambling in a panic for something of a spiritual nature in the midst of a spiritual storm or attack in their life. And that is not the way God wants you and me to live. Conversely, I've known people who have experienced a spiritual attack, challenge, or storm that was not of their choosing, but they were suited up. They were ready to meet it before it even got underway. How do you do that? Well, you get up every morning and you put your thoughts of salvation into your head. You take comfort in the righteousness of God in your life that lives in your heart. You surround yourself with the truth of God. You have confidence in the spirit of Jesus. And you live in the peace that passes all human understanding when something out there is ready to knock you down. In other words, you get up and you suit up and you do it every day. You know, I remember a woman uh, you know, having a conversation with me a long time ago, and uh, she was from another tribe uh, in the Christian family, and she said, you know, this, these vestments that you guys wear, uh, you know, it's just a turnoff to me. You know, because it feels like you're just trying to draw attention to yourself. Well, you know, I didn't argue with her. I didn't defend it. Uh, I don't even really disagree with it, uh, you know, in some circumstances, but I did explain to her that the original intended purpose of the uniform that we wear is not to call attention to ourselves, it's just the opposite. It's to get the individual to disappear in it. So that what they see is not the person, but rather symbols of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And while that may not always have the desired effect, and I understand that, I would invite you, challenge you, ask you in Jesus' name to think about what it means for you to put on the full armor of God by what you say, what you do, how we treat each other, how we talk to each other, how we use our time so that those around you will not notice you so much but they'll end up noticing him through the close of grace that God has issued to every one of his children. And so Paul comes to the end of his letter to Ephesus, and it feels like at the very end he's turning his attention back to Rome, back to his own situation, his own circumstance. And who knows, you know, maybe he was looking out the window while he was under arrest, and he sees a Roman soldier standing guard over him and trying to figure out how he's going to end this letter. God inspires him to use the components of that uniform to guide the children of God in living confidently, victoriously, 
and faithfully. And then with that, he asks for prayer, and he ends with a blessing as I close today by giving thanks for salvation, righteousness, truth and peace, the power of Jesus Christ and his spirit in our lives. And, you know, whether your battle looks like illness or it's a temptation of one kind or another, or, or somebody's really coming at you to challenge you to live in a way that is not of God, I give thanks that we have everything we need to stand firm, to live in peace, and to walk victoriously. So let's suit up, and let's go, and let's take the field for the glory of God who in his son has won the battle for you and me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.